Hello, and finally, welcome back to another episode of Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. I'm your host, Skylar Sig Daddy Sigmund. Yes, it has been a while. It's been over two weeks since the last episode of Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. But I am for sure glad to be back with you all. Looking forward to today's episode because it's a special subject. Very, very special subject. It's CM Punk's 434-day WWE title reign. We're going to talk all about it. The good, the bad, the impact he left during his reign as champion, and the after effects. It's going to be a fun subject, a lot of fun here on the show to discuss. And uh, next week's episode, though, I'll be posting an episode coming up on Monday next week. And it'll be Kurt Angle, one of my favorites of all time, if not my favorite of all time. I've said it before, he is my favorite professional wrestler of all time. Kurt Angle, I'm going to be talking about his short-lived run as the wrestling machine. That should be a hell of a lot of fun next week. Make sure to stay tuned for that. Dropping next Monday on all podcasting platforms. But let's get into the topic of discussion here. CM Punk's 434-day title reign. I'm going to kind of take you back to before it happened. Talk about the during. And then eventually, I'll make my way to the end. Captain Obvious speaking here. But uh, here we go. What initially really brought Punk into the forefront before his 434-day title reign was the Summer of Punk. And it really kicked off here with the Pipe Bomb promo, the infamous Pipe Bomb promo that he cut on the ramp after he costed Cena a win in a tables match against R-Truth on a Monday Night Raw on June 27th, 2011. This was a fourth wall breaking promo and he talked wanted to talk about a lot of stuff that he uh, wanted to get off his chest before he left the company in just three weeks time. We all know he didn't leave, but he's talking about how he hates the idea that Cena's the best, but Punk believes he's the best in the world. He's been the best in the world since day one, and but Cena is better at Punk, better than Punk at one thing. That is kissing Vince McMahon's ass. And he says he's as good as uh, Hulk Hogan, but not better than The Rock. Because he believes Dwayne's a very good ass kicker. Always was and still is. And he waves at the camera at one point during this. And uh, he waves actually twice. And Punk still, he says he believes he's the best since day one. And uh, Heyman, he saw something in him. Saw something in Punk that no one else wanted to admit. Lesnar was a Heyman guy, Paul Heyman guy. He was gone at this point in the, with the company. And Punk says he's a Paul Heyman guy also, but the difference between him and Brock was that he was going to leave with the WWE title. And he talks about how Vince McMahon's brass rings are completely imaginary, which this... This will leave an everlasting impact because there are so many guys you look at in WWE history that try to grab for that proverbial grass, 
brass ring, I mean, and are, able to, are never able to get it. They never, they try their damnedest, they try their hardest, but they, for some reason, can't grab that proverbial, gra- proverbial brass ring. Man, I cannot speak English. But, uh, yeah, and it's believable because there's guys. Christian that was never able to really grab that ring. Zack Ryder never able to grab that ring while he was in the company, even though he was over like Rover at one point. There are multiple guys there. Rusev, that's one other one. That's another one. There's plenty of other examples, but that's just to name a few. And it's true, though. Vince has his hand-picked guys, it seems like. But to continue with this promo, he proves it day in and day out, but he's mad that he's not featured on hardly anything, even the signature that starts Raw. And he's mad at mad that Dwayne is in the main event because they, at this point in time, they already slated Dwayne and, well, The Rock and Cena as the main event of WrestleMania 28. And it made him sick. And he calls out the fans that, aren't cheering, that are cheering for him, which is great because he points out a thing where they go out with those same cups they're drinking out of that don't have his face on it, they shove them in its shove them in his face at the airport to sign him because they and then they eventually sell him on eBay because they can't get a real job. And then he talks about how he's going to leave WWE with the title and maybe go defend it in New Japan or Ring of Honor, maybe go back to Ring of Honor. Also says hi to Colt Cabana who'd been fired. And he talks about how the wheel is going to keep turning. Once Vince, once Vince McMahon is gone, well, once once he leaves, I mean, once Vince McMahon, not Vince McMahon, but CM Punk leaves the company. McMahon is a millionaire who should be a billionaire, and the reason why is that he surrounds himself with glad-handing, douchebag yes men like John Laurinaitis, which is it's it's kind of it's just it's true. The wheel keeps turning with WWE. They try to make it that nobody's bigger than the company. Like you look at The Rock. The Rock became bigger than the WWE. Vince doesn't want that, I don't think. I don't know. But I get the feeling that Vince doesn't want his superstars to become bigger than WWE. And that's the reason why so many of them, I don't know, can't, don't break break out. Because you don't see very many wrestlers breaking into Hollywood. Really, you don't. You see seen The Rock. Cena is starting to. Austin never really did all that much, but he's got he's very successful with his podcasting and everything. But no, he doesn't want anyone be to be bigger than the WWE brand. He just won't let that ever happen. And Punk also says this, back to the promo, he likes to think that the fact that this company will be a better place once Vince McMahon is dead, but he won't be. It will be taken over by his idiotic daughter and doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. And then he gets cut off after that, pretty much. Great promo. Groundbreaking promo, because it... It's like, whoa. Was that a shoot? Or was that real? Was that a shoot, or was that done and was that all scripted it wasn't scripted i'm pretty sure it doesn't feel like that that promo was not script scripted at all but no was he shooting from the hip there yeah i think he was i really think he was but it could have been done in kayfabe as well but it was like oh my gosh man was that a great promo it's still 
play today. People still look back at that pipe bomb promo and it has a huge impact. But moving on, we got to get into the meat of things here sometime soon. But 7-17-2011, July 17th, Punk would then defeat Cena for the WWE Championship in his last match in the company, which was ended up being voted PWI, Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Match of the Year. It is a match that you do need to check out. If you haven't already, it is a fantastic match. Great storytelling. The environment is just fantastic as well. In Chicago, CM Punk's hometown. This actually earned a five-star rating from Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Which, before that point in 2011... It was the first WWE match to earn that five-star rating since the Bret Hart Stone Cold Steve Austin submission match at WrestleMania 13. That was 14 years prior. That is insane. And honestly, that is the last WWE main roster match, if I remember correctly, to get five stars. So they haven't had one in a decade. After that, July 25th, So CM Punk's gone for about a week or so. Cena would return, Cena would win the title after Rey Mysterio won it in a tournament earlier on in the night. Punk then returns, which in retrospect, why did you do it so early? But that's beyond the fact. Let's continue. uh, August 11th, 2011, Punk would become the undisputed champion in a match at SummerSlam against Cena with Triple H as a special guest referee. Kevin Nash would show up and jackknife powerbomb Punk, which would then lead to the Money in the Bank winner, Alberto Del Rio, to cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase, winning it after hitting Punk with a running in Seguri. Then on September 18, 2011, Triple H and Punk would face off at Night of Champions. Triple H would win after hitting two pedigrees and would have help with a run-in from Kevin Nash and Awesome Truth. So it was a couple of run-ins from Nash and Awesome Truth during this match. Triple H gets the win after interference in two pedigrees. And then meanwhile, during this pay-per-view, CM Punk, not CM Punk, but John Cena would win the WWE title from Alberto Del Rio. This is just a convoluted mess because you have Punk winning the title in July, then you have Cena winning the title, well, the interim title, really. And then we have the undisputed title at SummerSlam. And then you have Del Rio win it there as well from Punk. This is just a hot mess and a th- thing of hot potato. And I, I have just never bought Alberto Del Rio. Never really have. But moving on. Here we go. So in September, not September, but October 2nd, 2011, Del Rio would retain in a triple threat match. Actually, not retain. Del Rio would win the title in a triple threat match against Punk and Cena. Miz and Truth would get involved in that one as well, leading to a frantic finish where Alberto Del Rio escapes with the WWE Championship. On October 23rd, that was on October 2nd, 2011. On October 23rd, 2011, Punk and Triple H would team up and lose to Awesome Truth at Vengeance. Del Rio 
meanwhile, would retain the WWE title in a last man standing match against John Cena. Then, this, the upcoming pay-per-view Survivor Series 2011 would mark the start of CM Punk's historic 434-day WWE title reign. November 20th, 2011. Special day. My birthday, by the way. That would have been my 16th birthday. Uh, Punk would, in that pay-per-view, force Del Rio... Before the pay-per-view, Punk would force Del Rio to give Punk a match at Survivor Series for the WWE Championship by applying the Anaconda Vice to Del Rio. He would not agree, he would not let go of it until Del Rio would agree to the match. And the cool thing about this Del Rio-Punk match at Survivor Series 2011, Punk would get, so at that time Alberto Del Rio had his guest ring announcer Ricardo Rodriguez But Punk got himself one better. This one was at Madison Square Garden. Punk would get the legend himself, the late, the great Howard Finkel to announce him out in Madison Square Garden. This didn't main event the pay-per-view as this show was main evented by John Cena and The Rock taking on Awesome Truth. Yes, this would be the start of many main events where CM Punk wasn't featured. But Punk would win that. Punk would win the WWE Championship in a really good match at Survivor Series that year against Alberto Del Rio. He'd win it after applying the Anaconda Vice, forcing Del Rio to tap out. He scratched and clawed at Punk, and Del Rio tapped out. Punk, during his WWE title reign, he had some of the best matches. We'll talk about them here momentarily. Some of the best matches on each car. Um, then... Uh, the next month at TLC, during the start of his reign, December 11th, 2011, Punk would retain the WWE title in a main in the main event of the show. Very, very seldom thing we saw with Punk's WWE title reign. It was a triple threat match, TLC match, where Punk would defeat Miz and Del Rio. And it, there was involvement with handcuffs. And it was a good TLC match. Not like the greatest TLC match you'll ever see, but it was definitely an entertaining one. Nonetheless, following that, following uh, that, at the Royal Rumble 2012, of course, normally the Royal Rumble main events the show, so Punk did not main event there. Punk would retain the WWE Championship against Dolph Ziggler in a match with John Laurinaitis as an enforcer at ringside. This was during the time where people power was beginning. Not a good time during Raw. Not a good time. In WWE history. But this match was the prior to the main event where Sheamus would end up winning the Royal Rumble. Uh, This also marked the return of Chris Jericho at this Royal Rumble. Which would eventually set up the WrestleMania angle between the two. But prior to that would be the Elimination Chamber on... Elimination Chamber pay-per-view on uh, February 19th, 2012. CM Punk would retain the WWE title in the opener... By defeating Jericho, Ziggler, Kofi, R-Truth, and Miz in an Elimination Chamber match. The main event of this show, just to give you an idea. Kane and John Cena in an ambulance match. Really? Really? They felt that Cena was the most reliable star at that point. They didn't trust CM Punk yet. Which proved they didn't really ever trust CM Punk during this WWE title reign. But after that, at WrestleMania on April 1st, 2012, 
Punk would retain the WWE Championship against Jericho in the semi-main, defeating him with an Anaconda Vice in a very, very good match. It was a very good match. That WrestleMania 28 had some pretty darn good matches. The end of an era, Hell in a Cell between Shawn Mike, not Shawn Michaels, but Triple H and The Undertaker, special guest refereed by Shawn Michaels. The Rock and John Cena, which main evented that show, which really couldn't, couldn't, it really had to main event that show. That's the understandable part of this, that WrestleMania was Rock and Cena. Nothing's going to follow that because it's in Miami. It's in Rock's hometown. You can't really do that. You can't really have Punk and Jericho go on last because really nothing can follow Punk, ver- not Punk, but Rock versus Cena. But it was a very solid match. Jericho was trying to capitalize off of uh, Punk's family issues. His dad was an alcoholic. His sister apparently had substance abuse issues. So Punk in this match, he couldn't get disqualified or counted out in order to retain, but it was a really good match. Ended up getting three and three quarters stars in the Observer from Dave Meltzer. And then the follow-up to that, Punk and Jericho would once again fight on April 29, 2012 at Extreme Rules in a WWE Championship rematch, which was a Chicago street fight. This was the seventh match of the show. The main event of that one was Cena defeating a returning Brock Lesnar in an Extreme Rules match, a brutal Extreme Rules match at that. But this Jericho Punk match was a good brawl. I enjoyed it. I've watched I watched multiple matches from this WWE title reign, and Punk really, he had a good match with mostly everybody. Pretty much anybody, everybody. Everybody he wrestled during this reign, he had a good match with. Other than maybe one person. But then after that, we had Daniel Bryan taking on CM Punk at Over the Limit, not September, but May 20th, 2012. Uh, Apparently, Daniel Bryan broke things off with AJ Lee prior to this, and it seemed like she she had eyes for CM Punk, which in retrospect was a sign of things to come for the two, because they are married now, CM Punk and AJ Lee. But uh, then after that, and during that pay-per-view, Punk would retain, defeating Bryan in the eighth match on the show. A very good match. That received four and a half stars in the Observer. The finish of the match came after Daniel Bryan applied the uh, Yes Lock, uh, or the LaBelle Lock at the time. Maybe it was the Yes Lock, I don't know. But Punk would roll him up and then tap out after he got the pin on Daniel Bryan. Very good match as well. But that didn't main event the show. The main event of that show was John Laurinaitis versus John, C- versus John Cena in a no-DQ, no-countout match that earned a dud rating. And John Laurinaitis ended up winning that match after getting help from the big show. Why? You have two of the best wrestlers in the world. At this point, two of the best, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, and you do not place them in the main event. You put John Laurinaitis in the main event. My gosh, why? Why? Okay, moving on. 
June 17th, 2012. CM Punk would defeat Daniel Bryan and Kane in a triple threat match in the eighth match on the card at No Way Out. John Cena would main event once again and defeat the Big Show in a steel cage match where if Cena lost, he was fired. But if Big Show lost, John Laurinaitis was fired as well. Still, we have Cena main eventing pretty much every pay-per-view in some way, shape, or form. They don't believe in CM Punk. It, this, this seems like a recurring theme with WWE with their champions. You look at AJ Styles. He had that long reign as WWE champion. He had a whole year reign where he won it at Survivor Series. Not Survivor Series, but prior to Survivor Series 20, I think, 17. Yeah, it was 2017. And he retains it, holds the title until SummerSlam, not SummerSlam, but near Survivor Series 2018. He didn't have hardly any main events, it seemed like, during his WWE title run. It's the same for CM Punk here, just about six, seven years earlier. But uh, next pay-per-view would be July 15, 2012, where Punk would retain the title against Daniel Bryan in a no-DQ match where AJ Lee was the special guest referee. This match earned four and a quarter stars from Meltzer, and it was the fifth match on the card, so middle of the card here. Cena once again would main event in a Money in the Bank ladder match where Cena would win the briefcase, taking on the likes of Jericho, Kane, Big Show, and Miz. <sighs> they just had no belief in him, it seems like. Because they had Cena main eventing pretty much every single pay-per-view that year. Nothing against John Cena. He has been the WWE's go-to guy at that point for seven years. It's what they trusted. It's what they felt comfortable with. But you sometimes got to get out of your comfort zone with things and try something new. But after that, that Money in the Bank briefcase winning was pretty much all for naught. Because on Raw 1000, July 23rd, 2012, Cena would cash in Money in the Bank, but would fall after Big Show broke up an STF and that resulted in the DQ. So what was the whole point of Cena winning the Money in the Bank briefcase in the first place? We found out here. I don't know if we really found out here or not, because... Afterward, Show would continue to attack Cena after the DQ. We'd have Rock show up. This was just all a setup for The Rock to come in and save CM Punk. Punk lets this happen. Punk lets Cena get beat up after the bell. Rock makes the run in. Punk leaves the ring. Rock with the rights and then the spine buster to Show. Rock goes for the people's elbow. Punk decks Rock with a clothesline and then mocks the Rock Bottoms, mocks the Rock's uh, Rock Bottoms setup, hits him with the GTS, solidifying the heel turn for CM Punk. So, about eight months into his title reign, they decided to turn CM Punk heel, which I think was the right move. I think it was the right move. On. August 19, 2012, SummerSlam. Punk was able to retain after Cena hits an FU on Big Show 
and throws him out. This was the seventh match on the card. Main event here was Brock Lesnar versus Triple H. Even though Cena wasn't even in the main event, Punk was still not able to be in the main event of the show. It had to be Brock versus Triple H because those are the big names. After that, September 3rd, 2012, during a Falls Count Anywhere match between Del Rio and Cena, Punk kicks Cena from behind after Cena hits an FU on Del Rio on an equipment case. Helping Del Rio get the win, Punk then hits a GTS on a car, dropping Cena on the hood. But then we get, this is a a big part of CM Punk's reign. This is a, well, game changer in CM Punk's reign. He then gets into a vehicle after he hits a, a GTS on Cena, dropping him on the car. He gets in the vehicle with none other than Paul Heyman, who drives them away. Paul Heyman becomes CM Punk's manager for the rest of his WWE title reign. On September 16, 2012, Punk and Cena would continue their feud through Night of Champions. Punk and Cena would main event the show and would go on to a draw after a double pin. Finishing sequence, I which I thought was pretty good, would be Punk hit it would be Punk hitting a rock bottom on Cena. Cena would then kick out. John would hit an AA or FU as I like to call it. Punk would kick out of that. Cena then sets up on the second rope and hits him with a second rope German, but both men's shoulders are counted down for the three count. This got four and a quarter stars from Meltzer after going almost 27 minutes in the main event of Night of Champions. The only way Punk Punk seemed like he main evented shows was if Cena was involved. Or Cena or another big name was involved. That's the only time it seemed like Punk would main event. But then on September, not September, but October 28th, 2012, Punk would then feud with up-and-comer Ryback, who had been squashing fools left and right and was undefeated at this point in time, if I remember correct. And this was at Hell in a Cell 2012. And this is arguably the worst Hell in a Cell match in WWE history. Because Ryback was closing in on winning the title. He went for shell shock. Brad Maddox, that crooked official, stops him, low blows him, and Punk would retain after Punk rolled Ryback up. And Brad Maddox would do a fast count on Ryback. This was actually the main event of Hell in a Cell 2012. Unbelievable. That's weird. I say that with it only seems like him with Cena, but we have him with Ryback here. So why not him with Daniel Bryan? Why not him with Chris Jericho? It's beyond me. But and also, also at this point, it could have been argued that Ryback should have won the title at this point because Ryback was pretty hot. But history shown, Punk did not really like Ryback, did think he was a very safe worker. And uh, yeah, Ryback would not win it here. And it would be the lowest rated match star-wise, star-wise in the reign of CM Punk. One and a half stars from Dave Meltzer. Terrible. The next match would be better, though. It would earn, I think, a three-star rating in the Observer. Survivor Series 2012. November 18, 2012. This is a special day in WWE history. 
It took place in Indianapolis. This would mark the debut of The Shield. Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, and Seth Rollins. Ryback would be closing in on the title after hitting a shell shock on Cena. And The Shield would then jump into the ring, jump Ryback, and would then would proceed to triple powerbomb Ryback through the table, the announce table. Punk would then roll over and cover Cena to retain. This was the main event of Survivor Series 2012, a memorable moment to close out the show with those three debuting, and they would help CM Punk a couple more times during his WWE title reign. On December 4th, 2012, Punk would have to undergo surgery on a partially torn meniscus. This ultimately removed him from his one-on-one title match at TLC. So this is like the only pay-per-view he missed during his WWE title, his uh, long WWE title reign. But a day after this uh, surgery, Punk would become the longest reigning WWE champion in the past 25 years at 381 days. That's that surpassed John Cena's 380-day reign from September 2006 to, to uh through September 2007. And Punk would then wrestle again, retain his WWE title in a TLC match on Raw against Ryback, where he won when he won with the help of The Shield. On January 27th, 2013, this is the day that CM Punk's long and illustrious title reign would end. His story title reign would end. At the Royal Rumble 2013, Punk faced off against The Rock. And if Mr. McMahon put into place this fact that if The Shield got involved, Punk would be stripped of the WWE title and it would be awarded to The Rock. And this main evented the 2013 Royal Rumble Cena won the Royal Rumble earlier on in the show. And during the closing moments of this match, The Shield did get involved. The Rock, he got triple powerbombed that week on Raw. And Shield was apparently banned from ringside, like I said earlier. Uh, Rock, at one point during this match, goes for the people's elbow. The lights go out. No one can see The Shield except maybe the commentators. The Shield triple powerbomb Rock through the announce table, the ref couldn't see it. Referee Mike Kyoto, Punk rolls him back into the ring, pins Rock, one, two, three. Punk celebrates, throws Rock out of the ring. And Vince McMahon comes out to strip Punk of the title, and Rock says, no, 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 we don't end things like that. I will end them. We restart the match now. Rock wants to win it right. Rock wants to win it on his own merit. Vince obliges. Punk jumps him. As soon as the bell rang, big knee in the corner fall by the Bulldog. Top rope elbow for a close near fall for Punk. Punk goes for the GTS. Rock fights out. Sends Punk into the rope. Spine buster fall by a people's elbow. One, two, three. Big pop. For the Rock's WWE title win, and that marks the end 
of CM Punk's historic 434-day WWE title reign. Apparently the sixth longest in history at that point. That's according to Michael Cole, who said that on commentary during that match. But yeah, that would mark the end of CM Punk's WWE title reign, and it was sad to see. After that, we get the next pay-per-view at Elimination Chamber 2011, not 2011, but 2013. Rock would retain in the rematch against CM Punk there, which ended up leading to the Rock-John Cena rematch at WrestleMania 29, where Cena would win the WWE title. Punk would end up getting a pretty good match. He got The Undertaker. He lost in a streak match against The Undertaker at WrestleMania 29. But Punk would have liked to have been in the main event. And apparently, during this time, we uh, learned actually later on, The Rock, he revealed this in an interview uh, while he was on the set for Jumanji back in 2016, that he was not supposed to win the title at the Rumble. He was supposed to win the title at the Chamber. Which would have actually made a whole lot of sense. Because that would have inserted CM Punk into the title picture at WrestleMania 29. That would have made it a triple threat match. CM Punk wanted a triple threat match at WrestleMania 29. It would have been a great match. CM Punk, John Cena, and The Rock. Those are the three that, well, at least Punk had been carrying the company along with Cena for the past year while The Rock was in the picture somewhat, not as, like, not, like, prominently all the time, but he was in the picture. But it would have been a hell of a match, a hell of a main event. Would have been a lot better received. The Rock agrees with that if Punk would have been involved in the uh, match at WrestleMania 29. But that's history. And history has shown that they wanted to go The Rock and CM Punk. Not The Rock and CM Punk, but The Rock and John Cena. It did a good buy rate, but it didn't really resonate with fans all that much. But... Let's look at something here. During the title reign, CM Punk only main evented five pay-per-view five pay-per-views. That's the bad. He only main evented five pay-per-views during his WWE title reign. It seems like Vince McMahon with certain guys, he does not want he does not believe that they're main eventers. Like even the guy has the the most prestigious title in the company. He doesn't believe he's a main eventer. It seems like that with AJ Styles. Even though AJ Styles could put on a good match every single time. Puts on a good match pretty much every single time. He's, he has a hard time having bad matches. CM Punk is in that same league. He was in that same league. He had a hard time having bad matches. He was in five main events. TLC 2011, which was first month. As champion, he had this title for 14 months and he only headlined five pay per views. Head scratching, right? Night of Champions 2012. He wouldn't main event another pay per view for 10 months. For 10 months. Almost. Because that was December 2011. 
He would not main event. It was nine months, September 2012. And then he would main event another one. He would main event three straight pay-per-views, Night of Champions, Hell in a Cell, and Survivor Series that year. And then the Royal Rumble 2013 with The Rock. That's just, I don't know. But really, you look at CM Punk's impact as WWE champion. He was great. He cut so many memorable promos, so created so many memorable moments during his time as WWE champion. That he'll turn on The Rock, very memorable. He had memorable matches with multiple guys. This is the good stuff we're getting to. The good stuff. Daniel Bryan, he had good matches with him. He had good matches with Chris Jericho. He, Like I said, he had good matches with about everybody. He had a really good match with The Rock at the Royal Rumble in 2013 in his final title defense. Good matches with Cena. The guy could wrestle. The guy was a great wrestler, great entertainer. He had all the intangibles you wanted as a main eventer, but yet they still didn't want to put him in the main event. It's just beyond me. And that's why I think people, I think why certain people get frustrated with uh, with uh, Vince McMahon not pushing his, just pushing the guys he wants to push, not the guys that you know can do it all. Like, Big E, he's starting to get there. But it's been a long time coming. He's getting there. He can cut a promo. He can be serious. He can be goofy. He can do comedy. He can do about everything you want as a world champion. But yet we still kind of push the same people down the fans' throats. You want to push your guys, not the guys that organically get over with the fans. That's what... That's kind of WWE's logic with things. CM Punk, at this point, best promo guy there. Best wrestler. He he had the best in the world moniker. He lived by it. He proved that day in and day out as champion. Really, he did. You can't deny it at that point. He was the man, but the WWE at that point didn't want to push him as the man. They had to push Cena as the man. And at one point, you look at this, CM Punk outsold Cena in merch in 2011. CM Punk did not outsell Cena in any other year after that. And uh, Conan, former WCW wrestler on uh, MSL Radio, talked about why CM Punk never outsold Cena in merchandise after uh, 2011. Because, and here's the quote, when CM Punk was red hot and started to outsell John Cena merchandise, I know people that work in the company in the merchandise department, I know people that work in the work the arenas and sell the merchandise, and I can tell you exactly what WWE did. As soon as John Cena started getting outsold by CM Punk, they made three additional John Cena designs, they refused to make a second CM Punk design, and they started undershipping the CM Punk design on purpose. For every CM Punk shirt they would ship to the arena, they would triple John Cena shirts, and they would do three John Cena designs. 
So every 10 shirts in the arena, if Niner Cena, only one is Punk. Punk is going to sell out right away because they didn't send enough. And at the end of the night, they are going, oh, John Cena quadrupled Punk's merchandise. Of course he did. Because you purposely created a situation where it would be impossible for Punk to outsell Cena. That's probably true. Because I feel like that happened with Rusev because all the shirts always sold out. And that might have happened during Rusev's time in WWE. It's just they, they want to push the narrative that, oh, their guy is doing the best in merch even though we're not giving them as many shirts as our other guy. That's really selling them well. They want to make sure Cena is still the top guy and not let Punk take over as the top guy because he was kind of some outlaw a little bit. He was a little bit of an outlaw. But whatever. Whatever. Just want to look at also CM Punk's time during as WWE champion. So we look at the pay-per-view buy rates from 2011, kind of a little bit prior to his reign in the early months of his reign. Uh, on that, that year in 2011, prior to his reign, most of them, most of the pay-per-views, 3.681 million buys. Then the buy rates with Punk as champion in the 2012 calendar year, 3.783 million. And you've got to look at it from this standpoint. They Punk did not get pushed like a, get promoted like a main eventer. You look at that. He was not main eventing pay-per-views. It was mostly Cena. So still, WWE didn't want, they were afraid. They didn't want to try something new. Who The guy was organically over with the fans. You've got to take that those buy rates with a grain of salt because Punk was the man. He was the man, but Cena, they wanted to push the narrative that Cena was the man. Not Punk at this point. But Punk had a hell of a title reign. 434 days. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It was, he was an active champion, unlike some champions we've seen today, like Brock and Goldberg and others. They're not as active as other as these champions that were there day in and day out, working and defending their championships. No disrespect to Brock or Goldberg because they are legends in their own right. But, yep. That will conclude this episode on CM Punk's 434-day WWE title reign. What did you think of the WWE title reign of CM Punk? Let me know on Twitter at SigDaddyWrestle. You'll also file, you can also find me on Instagram at SigDaddy.Wrestle and on Facebook at SigDaddyWrestle. Also, make sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, the iHeartRadio app, and, on, uh, and also on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to tune in next week once again. It'll be a fun episode looking back on Kurt Angle's run as the wrestling machine from August 2005 approximately to his departure later on in 2006, around August or so. Until next time, this is Skylar Sigdaddy Sigmund saying thanks for listening and so long, everybody.